Our text is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are companion scriptures that we'll be looking at, but actually we'll be just giving the introduction to our study here this evening, and we'll be dealing there with the first verse. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And let us ask the Lord to bless his holy and inspired word this evening. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. This is a true saying, and that we know when that is mentioned in the Scripture, what follows is an absolute mandate handed down from you, from heaven. We're your people, and we revel in that fact, Lord. We marvel at it. We wonder how it could be that you sought us and loved us and saved us, we who are so unlovable, unsavable, apart from your absolute unmerited favor and great grace, we, our testimony is with the psalmist who said, This poor man cried, and he heard my voice, and he lifted me up and set my feet on a firm foundation. And we're resting tonight, Lord, not on this earth's foundation, but upon the Word of God. The very living Word of God is where our soul rests tonight. And you said that that Word would not return void and that not one jot or tittle would pass away till all be fulfilled. And if that's so, Lord, then your word will have to bring us all the way to heaven glorified one day. You said that, and we've taken you at your word, and we rest in that tonight. Oh, what a place of security that is. What a rock. What a shelter. And we ask that you bless us and teach us these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're considering the 14th tenet of our statement of faith, which says the Lord Jesus is the head of his church, which is composed of all his true disciples, and in him is invested supremely all power for its government. According to his commandments, Christians are to associate themselves into particular societies or churches. And to each of these churches he hath given needful authority for the administration of that order, The regular officers of the church are bishops or elders, those words used interchangeably, and deacons. The word bishop means in the Greek an overseer and implies the authority to do so, the authority to guide and direct and to rule. The authorized version uses the word rule. It's clear from the scriptures that wherever you read the reference to the elder, the pastor, and we use those words interchangeably, that they were invested with an authority not unlike the father in a household. And in fact, in the qualifications enumerated for us here, that's exactly the picture that the Holy Spirit draws for us, the head of a family. Hebrews thirteen seventeen: Obey them that have the rule over you. These, in the context, he's referring to the overseers, the pastor of the church. 1 Timothy five seventeen: The elders that rule well... That describes what these pastors did. They ruled, oversaw the church. Now, modern-day thought cringes from that. And while there have been abuses in the dictatorship of some of pastors in that light, it does not divorce from the Scripture what the Lord says about the role of his elders. In fact, we call them, refer to them, the ruling elder of the congregation. In the qualifications for bishops in our text, one that ruleth well his own house. In verse 5, there's a supposition, a question asked, 
And very practically, if a man know not how to oversee, how to guide, how to direct or rule his own house, how shall he take care or oversee or direct the church or the household of God? That's the picture, one of the pictures of the New Testament congregation, the household, the family of God, with a father, with a a guide, a, a head of that household. In Paul's epistle to Titus, where we also find these uh, guidelines reiterated for us, after the ordination of elders is mentioned, that is introduced there in Titus, that they should be ordained, and then the qualifications of a bishop are laid out, and the connection clearly indicates that the elders and bishops were titles of the same office. And so they are two, two offices in the New Testament church. That of the the bishop or elder, that word used interchangeably, which we uh, insert pastor because it means to shepherd, to oversee. And we use that because of the chief shepherd. And again, there's uh, validation for that in 1 Peter. And so we use the two offices by just for our discussion here, the pastor and the deacons. The the offices are the pastors, if there's a plurality of pastors in in a congregation, and the deacons. But the two offices are the only two offices known in the New Testament. And so the bishops were pastors or shepherds of a flock, specific flocks committed to their oversight. In Ephesians, they are commanded to feed the flock. And Peter reiterates this same command that the elders feed the flock as under shepherds. Can you see the picture here? Christ, the chief shepherd, who has under shepherds over his various flocks. And they are to feed in his stead and to shepherd and guide as one of the shepherds, a literal shepherd's job is to make sure the sheep pasture and feed in water. And that's one of the overriding responsibilities of the pastor as the under shepherds answering to Christ, the chief shepherd. And this food, of course, is spiritual food. And so a pastor must be apt to teach. He must be able to give the sheep the food that they need the exact diet that they need, or he is able to teach and able to do that. Both pastors and teachers are offices in the church, are callings in the church. Many teachers in a church, teachers do not necessarily have the the calling to pastor. There may be teachers in our congregation who are not invested with pastoral authority, but all pastors will be by necessity of the calling be apt to teach. That is a requirement. Church leadership, then, as we see here, is a very serious matter. How often it's, though, treated in a flippant way. I receive various news, church news magazines, and to be honest with you, most of them are not really worthwhile, worth reading, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or anything like that, but where it used to years ago, they would be filled with doctrine and teaching. They're now filled with advertisements and the things of the, the world. It's just, it's really pitiable. And in, in a certain um, uh, magazine that, or newspaper, they will have won't ads. They have a won't ad section, if you can imagine. And I often like to read the churches seeking for pastors and pastors seeking for churches. I know what it sounds like. It sounds just like what it, what it says, pastor seeking church, church seeking pastor. And then they'll, they'll put their, their qualifications and 
this is how it should be done, and, and this is where it should be sent, and, and this is a what kind of congregation, a blended congregation, and they'll give a little bit of this and that to try to show what they're looking for. And uh, very rarely do you see anything that's mentioned here as far as what they're looking for. Uh, what they're looking for is someone young um, and who can be the change agent to the, this new generation to get them to come to church because they they're, they're on hard times and can't get anybody to get come. And so that's about what it means in some places. Now, I've already gotten off on a negative note, and I don't want to be there, but just to bring up this whole thing of, of, of the qualifications of a pastor and, and the leadership of the church and how it's viewed from, from the, the pastorate, those who are called, and from the church is, is often very interesting. Because I've been here a long time, I guess, that's the only reason I can think of it. From time to time, congregations will call me, pulpit committees will call me seeking pastors. Uh, and, and vice versa, pastors call me, do you know of a church? Do you know anybody needs a, a good pastor? And I, I often want to say, well, most of them have one. Most of the churches have a good pastor. But uh, this whole process, and so I smile. I don't like to get in the middle of those things because it uh, it's can be very... Uh, problematic. Uh, my late predecessor used to say, and he served in this area all of his ministry, and he preached in every little uh, haven and climb and village all over this part of the country. And in my courtship days, if I wanted to see Kathy, I'd have to go to wherever he was preaching. She'd be playing and the quartet would be singing. And so uh, I had to learn without GPS how to get around Toad Vine and Vinesville and, and this gap and that holler and, and double springs and triple springs and negative springs, all these kind of places. Good hope, little hope, no hope, all those churches. <laughs> And you'd go, you'd pull up, and you'd see, you'd see, you could pretty much size up the situation. I didn't care what they had. They, I knew they had a piano player I was interested in. I'll be honest with you, that was, was my interest, and I, I did like to hear Brother Grant preach, but that was not my primary goal. My desire, I must, I must confess, the Lord forgive me, and, and he knows all about it in heaven now, I'm sure. But uh, I often marvel at the, the expectations of a church or the pastor, and we have before us what God's view of it is. This is very serious business, isn't it? And Peter, he, he says that the pastor should be apt to teach, to oversee, and to, to lead and guide the church. The Lord said, I will build my church. That phrase in the scripture is one of the most powerful statements in the entire word of God. Notice the personal pronoun, I will, I am doing it. I determine whatever the Lord, did the Lord not do anything he determined to do? So we can rest assured he is building his church. I will build, and whose is it? My church. And then he gives us the pattern here in the pastoral epistles. The character of a church will be inseparably joined to the character of the quality of the leaders of that church. What a sobering thing it is, pastoral staff, deacons, that the character of our church will be inseparably linked with our characters. So go look in the mirror. Look in the secret place. See what you see there, and then come to corporate worship and and to the Sunday school class to see what is, what is here. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, our Lord said, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. In other words, after he has been thoroughly trained, he will be like his teacher. 
Paul taught the Corinthians to be ministers or uh, mimickers or imitators and followers of him. That word really in the Greek means mimickers, imitators. Follow me. He, he had the audacity to say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. To the Philippians, he wrote, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. All these qualifications for pastors here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 are spiritual virtues. This is not so much a job description. We've alluded to it that way. But very little is actually said about what the pastor will do. But the, the scripture tells us what he will be. What he must be. You see, the doing flows out of what he is. And that's why the Holy Spirit always starts with the most important thing, the the heart of the matter, the inner man. And these virtues, these spiritual virtues, these character traits will mark godly pastors. Notice there's nothing said about their duties here, which were obvious and clear. The reason when the Holy Spirit leaves something out or unsaid in a context and when he's dealing with, with something, it is obvious The duties of a pastor are obvious. They're alluded to only. uh, Praying, studying, ministering the word publicly and privately. But the spiritual qualities evidently needed to be emphasized and and clearly outlined so there would be no question about who was fit to lead the, the church of Christ. Notice how the apostle begins this teaching on the spiritual qualities, uh, qualities of a pastor. And so there's so much in this one verse, the first verse, that we must look at before we can ever get to the, the catalog of things that are, are given to us here. And so I want us just to consider this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a pastor, he desireth a good work. That phrase there, this is a true saying. This is a faithful saying is used throughout the epistles. It means it is a trustworthy saying. And what is to follow is of utmost importance. It is a truth that is so obvious that it needs no proof. Paul is not hearing asserting or proving anything. This is a saying. And is, 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 is he saying anybody can see how important this is? This is an important office, he's saying here, not to be entered into flippantly or as a leisure or a hobby or without serious contemplation. I became overwhelmed with emotion thinking about my own testimony. I remember where I was sitting in the service here, about where uh, the maze are, right in that area, when uh, Brother Grant. Uh, was preaching and I can't remember the text but he asked a question as only he could you know why have you not surrendered in this area it's almost like he just opened up my mind and said you know he could have just everybody else could have entered the uh, exit of the auditorium and he could, he could have said and he probably was because he could read me and he it was as if he said Chris why haven't you and or when are you going to surrender to the call to preach in your life I remembered, I have it written down in my other Bible, the, the moment that, that evening when I su- surrendered to that. And I'm not going to go into the details of, of that call, but to say that this office presupposes that there is a call to it. And you often hear the testimonies of pastors that they ran from the call. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear not only the call, but their um, reticence to submit to it. And as a young person, saved at a young age and giving my heart to the Lord, 
I had not been honest with myself that I had, in, in my mind, as we are wont to do, bargain with the Lord. I will serve you, and I told the Lord how I would serve him. And I thought he ought to be very pleased with my plan. So often people are that way. Lord, this is what I'll do. Now, you have saved me by your mercy and grace. Tell you what I'm going to do, that kind of arrangement. I'm going to uh, be willing to go to, to Christian college and prepare to serve you. And, and since others have said that you've uh, given me the, the, the gift of teaching, and I do believe I, I, that, that you've validated that in my life, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to work with young people, and I'm going to teach school, and I'll be an administrator or whatever you want me to be. You know, I was so big about it. Here, you just, anything in this area that you want me to be, I will do. And then we, we shouldn't laugh at it, but in my spiritual immaturity, I decided I could never be a pastor. Uh, a lot of it was pride. I didn't want to, the scrutiny and the... Um, all that comes with that are what I thought it would be. And I probably had excuses that I couldn't be the kind of pastor that I, that I knew of. I must confess to you that my childhood pastors were largely not to be emulated. I'm not saying that uh, to be uh, judgmental or anything like that, but they were not men that, that I had held high regard for because of their, for the very things that we're looking at here in the, the, the Scripture. And so I had a negative view. Uh, I had a pastor that would stand out and joke with the men and smoke his cigarettes and tell the, the off-color jokes out front before they went into the church to have the church service. And uh, that somehow, you know, young people can, can have things in their minds. Uh, that didn't have anything to do with me or God's call with, uh, to me, but I decided that if I couldn't be, uh, I didn't really have a good picture, whatever the excuse was, but I remember the Lord bringing uh, me to a place of submission where I sub submitted to, to being ordained to the ministry and doing whatever he wanted me to do uh, as far as that goes. There are many reasons, no doubt, for, for men to enter the pastorate, so that was why I said that. I can't imagine why someone would without a clear, uh, direct call from the Lord. I honestly cannot. I, I'm not sure why some do job security. I don't know. Position, uh, prestige. Uh, they like working with people. They have good personalities or whatever. But uh, they like working around Christians maybe or the schedule or whatever uh, it may be. Or uh, All of these, though, are unacceptable. Those are not reasons to, to enter into the pastorate. For one thing, in the New Testament days, there was no prestige or respect whatsoever for the Christian ministry. These men were the under rowers, the lowest dregs of society. There was no personal gain whatsoever in these little congregations of believers. It was unheard of. There was no possibility, as it is in our day and time, for these men to get rich or to make a position for themselves, uh, franchising uh, the ministry or using the ministry in that way. There, there would be no jet planes or, uh, you know, lavish whatever in the New Testament church. It was not possible. And quite frankly, many of these men had to be bivocational, uh, or, and we know that some were, for example, the Apostle Paul. The church was a place of ridicule, of potential for persecution. I mean, to, to, to say I'm going to, to, to surrender the call to preach in, in 100 A.D. Was, was just putting a sign on your head and says, you know, feed me to the lions or kill me or imprison me. I mean, it was just that, that much of a, po a possibility. Nothing glamorous about it whatsoever. 
but it, it is a necessary part of the plan of God. And we see wherever the gospel is preached, uh, a phenomenon or miraculous thing take place. Wherever God's gospel is preached, churches will come to being. And alongside the gospel call, and this is so exciting in the Lord's church, alongside the gospel call, there will be a call to gospel ministry. Praise his name. So that in the healthy, functioning New Testament church, God will be raising up leadership and future pastors from the the local congregations of believers. And I take great delight in that. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we see that as churches were established, Paul and Barnabas ordained elders for them in every city. And we see in Acts chapter 15 that the first great church council where the the discussion of the Gentiles and their standing in the church was discussed, you see that the elders or the pastors presided at that council right alongside the apostles. In fact, you already see the apostles to an extent begin to be fading uh, out of the way because as far as their, their absolute position in the church and you see these shepherds coming and in that particular council right alongside the apostles and they will replace them as the leadership of the church in philippians 1 verse 1 paul and timotheus the servants of jesus christ to all the saints in christ jesus which are at philippi with the bishops or the pastors and the deacons to the thessalonians he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then I love this injunction. Esteem them, note their work, and then he says, and be at peace among yourselves. Because you know what? That's the greatest gift that the congregation can give the, the, the pastor. Be at peace among yourselves. Godly leaders are the skeleton of a church structure, and a church cannot be a strong one without that super, the understructure of the skeleton, just as your body is not strong if the skeleton is not strong. Godly leaders are not produced in the so-called right seminary or Bible school. As important as training is, a seminary or a Bible school, college, whatever you want to call it, course of study, cannot produce a godly pastor. They only can give you tools to, to study and to, to use in the ministry. But only the Lord, the chief shepherd, can call by his spirit and produce in the heart of the man that he calls the qualities that are given here. These are spiritual things. You realize these are things that can't be worked up. They're not, oh, I'll do this. I'll, I'll adopt this into my lifestyle. No, these are spiritual graces that are the product of the Holy Spirit in a yielded and called life. Only the God called and the God equipped should dare venture into this office. Please don't dabble in the ministry. Please don't consider maybe allowing yourself to to take it on for a while to see how it works. Notice how narrow or restrictive the office is. And so we're going to examine the words here in verse 1. And again here, the Bible says, if any Person, are you with me tonight? Some of you are not with me tonight. You need to be with me. If any, say it with me, church, man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, some people will not like what I'm about to say. 
And that's why I'm not, I'm not saying it to make you like it or not like it. I am duty-bound to teach what the Scripture teaches with the authority of the Holy Spirit behind me who had me to write these words. The first requirement here is that the pastor must be a man. Would you agree with me there? If you don't agree with me here, you must cut this verse out of your Bible along with the verse in verse 12 that precedes the teaching that he gives here in this chapter. If any man... And if someone missed that, Paul gives greater clarification on down in the qualifications. The husband of one wife, and I'm not trying to be cute here tonight, but a man is the only one except in this warped society that we live in where someone calls their wife, their, one woman calls their wife their wife, or a man his husband his husband. And I don't even want to, that's not what this is about. But the scripture says, the husband of one wife, if any man. The first, I repeat, the first requirement of a pastor is that he be a man. Any uh, uh, is an indefinite pronoun. If, if, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a, a good work. And the, the pronouns in the verse must agree with the masculine adjectives here and in verse 6. There's no room for women elders in the New Testament structure of the church or a woman pastor. Now, if you turn on the popular, not, not Channel 47, but if you turn on some popular uh, Christian television, you'll see all kinds of women preachers. And I'm told, I've never looked in it, I've told that one who's a very noted one who has a study Bible, that when you come, I don't know, someone could go look it up and see, when you come to this portion of Scripture, there are no notes about um, the, the man the, 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 and the qualifications here. That the, the study notes are silent when it comes to, to women usurping authority in the teaching of the Word of God in the, the local church. It is very definite, though, isn't it? You don't have to strain at anything or, or make a point here. The Bible is very clear. And we further read that he is to be the husband of one wife. And that, that phrase we're going to get to and look at in great detail. There be, you know there's a thousand, I'm exaggerating, shouldn't exaggerate, different opinions about what that means, the husband of one wife. Women in that day were not considered the heads of household. They were never called the head of a household. So that whole analogy that he must rule his own house well uh, does not fit in the, in the, even in the New Testament paradigm or thought of uh, what a woman would do. Back in chapter 2, verse 11, he taught that women should not teach in the public worship services of the church. Again, that is uh, ignored, and even in, in so-called uh, orthodox and Bible-believing churches, but it is still in the Scripture here. Nor was uh, she to exercise authority over the men in the congregation, but was to be silent in the services. Look in verse 12. But I suffer, I do not allow a woman, and this is Paul speaking in his apostolic authority, to, for a woman to teach, and again in the context, in the public worship, not that she could not teach children or women, but she should not teach to, nor to usurp authority over the man. So she could not rule, could she, as a ruling elder, as a pastor, and, and go along with the qualifications of a role of women in the church. Now, let me just pause here and say, and I shouldn't have to say this because the women of this church know how I feel, that you are absolutely irreplaceable. And your, your role is so vital and important, I couldn't begin to tell you. We'd have to close down tomorrow if the women of this church did not do, and I'm saying that uh, seriously, 
that uh, without the women doing what they do. And I, I praise the Lord for the time. I was thinking of this this afternoon, the tireless efforts of you dear women. And never are these things an issue. Never had a woman in our church come to me and say something about this uh, or, or to dispute it or to ask, uh, what, what do I mean by it? Uh, but presiding, as well as there's so many things that you do and can do, but presiding as an elder is not one of them, uh, the, according to the Scripture. And it does not include leadership over the congregation of God's people. Why is it that we want to change these things and to ignore them or to just uh, say, well, but this is 2015, and that was Paul in his day. No, it's not Paul in his day. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit to say what the chief shepherd told them to to say. The apostles' doctrine was what the Lord Jesus told them to tell his church, period. This is a limited office. And well, it should be because of its importance, limited to the call, and it must be a call. And if, if this church ever finds itself into the position of calling a a pastor. You must know his call. You must be convinced of his call to the the ministry. This is not a profession. Don't call a professional. He'll ruin the church. He'll be a hireling. This is not a profession. It is a calling. And it is limited to that and to a man. And then we notice that this is in spite of the gravity of the office. And the high level of accountability and the strictness of the qualifications, it is an office or calling that carries with it a desire to fulfill it. The Holy Spirit says the one who will have this office must desire it. Now, the word desire, this is a a true saying, if a man desire, the, the first word there is a rare Greek word that appears only here and in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. It literally means to aspire or reach for. So the, the one, on the one hand, that, that desires this office must be aspiring for it or reaching for it. It literally means to, to reach, to stretch out oneself to grasp, as if to grasp something. It is not speaking here, that first word is not speaking of a, an internal motive, but of an external act of one making all the preparations to fulfill this office should the Lord allow him to be in that place, taking steps to become a pastor. And the second word there for desires means a passionate compulsion. It does mean an internal burning uh, uh, just compulsion, if you will, for which is a good, for that which is good and commendable here in the context for the office. Not for its position as such, but to fulfill the call that God has put in that man's heart and life. And unlike the first word, which has the connotation of aspire, this one does mean that inward feeling of desire. And so one of the things that you young men will come to me and ask about, is the Lord calling me to preach? And I ask him, I said, well, let's look at your, your girlfriend. Do you like your girlfriend? And they'll look at me and say, what do you mean? They get embarrassed and red and all the rest. I said, don't you like her? Don't you want to be around her? And that's the same thing here, a desire. You married the person because of your desire to be with them. And to go into this, the, the ministry, there's a burning desire there that can be squelched or put on the back burner, as I mentioned, run from it or be uh, 
uh, have questions about it until finally you get to the place, if it's a true call, as in the gospel call, the call to gospel ministry, it, you must submit to it. There's only one thing to do that you can do is to submit to it. So we could say that these two words describe a man who outwardly pursues the ministry because of a driving compulsion to do so on the inside. It isn't a take-it-or-leave-it kind of thing where a man says, I might like to try pastoring for a while to see how it goes and see if I like it and say, you know, that kind of, like I, I would try selling insurance or something like that. Now, that's not to say there'll be seasons in a God-called man's life where he may be out of the pulpit for a while because of circumstances in his own life or health or, or the situations of the church or whatever. There are, there are all kinds of things here. But this is not some, I might like to dabble in that for a while, and if it doesn't work out, I just won't, I'll do something else. Uh, like, like to try to, to pastoring for a while to see if it works out. If it doesn't, I'll just I'll do something. That's not, that's not a call from God. But balancing out this God-given desire to pursue the, the pastorate, there must be the spiritual qualifications as well. It can't be one of the, or the other. They must both be together uh, in the, the one being considered for the office. They must have a call. They must uh, be aspiring to it, and they must have a driving desire compulsion to fulfill that call in their life. To call a man to pastor who does not have the zeal of the Lord burning in his heart is a disastrous thing for a congregation because you deserve for that one who will fill this office to have the zeal of the Lord upon him. You must be convinced that what he's saying, he, he believes himself. The worst thing on earth is to be sitting under ministry of a man who's not convinced of what he's teaching. And even if you may not agree with his dividing of the word and just the way that he divides the word, you must agree he believes what he's saying. And he's convinced of what he's saying is true. He could not be fulfilling, uh, fulfilled doing anything else. And he gives himself to prepare for the qualifications of the office. Even if a man is called later in life, it sometimes happens. A man may have a regular work life, and all of a sudden he feels the call of God upon his life. Nothing else will satisfy from that point on. Do you understand the picture that, that, that the Scripture is describing here? The pastor is not seeking an office or a position per se. He is seeking the work. He is seeking the ministry of, of that office. He must be a man of zeal and passion, the church deserves it. The Lord certainly deserves it. And the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, who, what girl would marry a guy who didn't have zeal for her? Darling, I've just got to marry you. I can't live without you. Girls, don't ever settle for somebody who doesn't have that kind of zeal for you. They just they absolutely adore you. You deserve that, you young ladies. And what church would want a pastor that was not burning with the zeal and the desire for the Lord? If a man desire or aspires the office of a bishop, he desires, craves, longs for a good work. Not a vocation, not a profession, not an office, a work. Did you see that word there? A good what? A good diversion? A good hobby? A good work because it is it is exactly that oh it is work and notice there in verse one the description of this calling it is the office of a bishop the office of an overseer and so the word itself describes what he will do this is no leisurely hobby but a, a life filled 
eternally, seriously, a serious responsibility. I, I marvel, and I want to be careful here. I marvel at, at some men who seem to have such leisure time in their office as pastor. For the life of me, I can't figure it out. Uh, it is a work that, that consumes uh, the, the waking moments of a man's life. There's not a moment where you're not upon my heart. I wake up at night praying for you. If I wake up, so often the first thing that comes to mind is the work of the Lord here. And you, you dear folks. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be leisure in a man's life at all. I'm not saying that at all. But the, the, the work of the ministry is so consuming. This is an office of high accountability, and it should be. We, we should not uh, squelch or recall from this accountability. Hebrews 13, verse 17, as we've read, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. That's serious business, isn't it? As they must give an account. Do you know I'll give an account for every soul that sat under my ministry? Whose name were on the, the church roll here at Linares Baptist. I, I feel very sure that the Lord will call me into question about my, my praying for and my, my desire and my uh, efforts to make sure that the congregation was saved and regenerate, knowing the Lord and, and walking in ways pleasing to Him. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust that we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. James chapter 3 verse 1 gives a, a warning, doesn't it? Be not many teachers or masters, overseers, knowing that we will receive the greater condemnation because of our position as leaders over the Lord's heritage. Now, the word there in the Greek for overseer, the man that desires the office of an overseer, is in the Greek episkopos, from the, the Episcopal denomination, gets their name from that word, episkopos. And it means uh, it, it, a bishop is the authorized version, translates that Greek word episkopos as bishop, and the definition of a bishop is an overseer. And most people think that when they hear, hear that word bishop, they think of all the ecclesiastical trappings and the robes and the chains and the smoke and the candles and incense and all that has been added to that. But that is the farthest thing from this New Testament word here. None of that was called into mind when the, the saints at Ephesus heard about a bishop. They didn't think about robes or incense or anything like that, mitres or any of that kind of stuff whatsoever. They thought of a pastor, the man that God had placed over them. The New Testament, the terms for bishop and overseer refer to the same role as pastor and elder. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. Do you see this pastoral element here? Over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, the flock over which he's made you pastors, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Well, we'll close tonight with a question. What are the, the, the responsibilities of a pastor? We said that, that in this text, that while the job description is not uh, much alluded to here, but in, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, there are several, at least seven, uh, 
responsibilities that we say as a pastor. And we'll look at these in more detail. I'll just introduce them here tonight as we close. To, to rule, to, to oversee the church in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. To preach and to teach in that same uh, verse. We're to preach, herald the grace of God and to teach the doctrine of God. Sometimes you see a pastor who preaches but does not teach. He's only doing half of his job. Sometimes you see a teacher who does not preach passionately and plead for souls and to try to do the work of the evangelist. He's only doing part of his job. He must preach and teach. Pastor, teacher is a hyphenated description of the, 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 the task that the pastor will do. He's to pray for the sick in James chapter 5. Verse 14, if any of you among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church to pray. He's to care for the church, First Peter 5, verses 1 through 2. That care is the same care that a father has for his household, a husband has for his wife. The, the, the tangible parts of what is a home, you do have a house, don't you? And, and stuff and all of that it goes over the, the over, oversight of the care of a pastor. While he should not personally have to make sure of every little detail of that, he cares about it and, and wants it to be done decently in order and, and be kept up in good stewardship over all those things to care for the church. But primarily, more than the, the tangible assets of the church, which sometimes the pastor can get sidetracked for, he's to, the church is you. He's to care for the church, those who make up the church. He is to set church policy. Acts chapter 15, the first council was the pastor and the elders setting policy. How will we treat the Gentiles? What will we require the Gentiles? Well, let's search the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Let's draw up guidelines for how they were saved just like we are. We can't command them to, to keep the, the Old Testament law, the, the, the dietary law and, and that kind of thing because are all the other ceremonial things that we couldn't keep and are no longer bound, bound to keep. And so they set church policy. And then to ordain other pastors, probably the crowning point of a pastor's ministry is to be able to see those who've been called uh, to the ministry themselves and to ordain them to do the Lord's work. Well, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes, is it not? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your order and uh, what you've established for us. May we be found faithful, Lord, in all these areas. We pray that, Lord, as we have studied the book of Acts and as we're studying the tenets of our church, that we would be a, a scriptural church, that we would live not just by the letter of these, but the spirit of them would so be a part of our hearts and minds that our first response is, what does the scripture say? And then how can we lovingly and firmly put it into practice? Oh, Lord, may we, this not bring us to pride or haughtiness or in anything else, but to humble ourselves as your church and rejoice in your truths and to live them out as the body of Christ. Lord, we live in dark days where these lines are being marred and, and erased and, and blended and all kinds of things. But may we find your pattern and abide by it graciously and gratefully because this is what you've given to us. Now bless your church. Oh, Lord, we beg for your blessing. Would you stir us up into revival of the, the deep things of a first love for you, the secret place, your word of concern and love for one another. And oh, for the lost, for our children, 
for the next generation coming along and for the lost around us. Lord, we uh, seem at times unconcerned about the conversion of others. May we be witnessing and inviting people to come as we think about our upcoming gospel meeting. Oh, Lord, may we not be lethargic. You're sending a choice servant to, to preach the unsearchable riches of your grace. May all your people be in their place and endeavor to get others here to hear this man of God and, and even use the unusualness of his situation, the, the wheelchair and all that, that people might would come to hear someone with this debilitating disease. And, and, but, Lord, we want them to hear your word by this choice man who so gloriously and, and aptly preaches your word. But most of all, we ask for you to stir us and, and move us to be what we ought to be. In Jesus' precious name. We ask it. Amen.